Well, this morning we're continuing our series of messages that we began last Sunday on the vision of Hope Covenant Church. And it's vision on the move because vision is never something that is static. It's always something that's dynamic, that's moving. Now, some of you have heard this story before that I'm going to tell you. Uh, But in the interest of full disclosure, as your pastor, uh, we try to be very transparent in our church. I must confess this. Uh, Story is both true and embarrassing. And I know you'll be excited about that. Um, So my sophomore year at San Diego State University, uh, my father uh, helped me to buy my first new car. It was a sweet 1967 Volkswagen Beetle. Um, I remember how much it cost. It was $1,700. My payments were $52.14 that I had to pay my dad every on the first of the month. And if I didn't pay it on the first of the month, he'd take the car away. So I was learning responsibility. But this car was sweet. It had a four-track stereo, which became obsolete two weeks after I bought it. And I bought all the tapes that went with it. It had uh, state-of-the-art everything inside the car. There was this genuine plastic seat covers and full wood gear shift knob. I mean, this thing was a beauty. 50 horsepower. And and it it was tan. You know, in those days, cars were a color. You know, tan. Now they're 17 different names that we've never heard of in terms of the color. But in those days, a car was red, blue, tan, black, or white. And this was tan, a desert tan, and it was a real, real beauty. So uh, to kind of put the final adornment on my 67 Beetle, I, uh, this was a brand new idea in the 60s, the idea of uh, bumper stickers. Now, they're pretty common today. Um, I kind of stay away from them now because of what I'm going to tell you in a minute. Uh, but the, the bumper sticker I thought was really cool was Honk If You Love Jesus. And so I got that bumper sticker and I put her on my, the, the, the bumper of my car. And it was a very uh, a cheap, inexpensive way to witness. And uh, so I could feel good about myself without actually talking to somebody, which uh, for a young engineering student, that was perfect. And so I'm screaming down Highway 8 in my uh, 67 Volkswagen. Um, the Four Seasons are singing uh, Sherry Baby, and I'm singing at the top of my lungs, even though I hadn't met Sherry Baby yet. And <clears throat> it was awesome. And somebody pulled up behind me and started honking their horn. Now, I should have known that that was, that was good. I was bearing witness to the love of Jesus, right? But I forgot that I had the bumper sticker on. I just forgot. And so I, I, I looked in the mirror and said, what are you doing, you know? It's like 7 in the morning on a Wednesday. Nobody's on the freeway. And the guy keeps honking. And so I kind of glare at him. And, and then I'm getting angry. And so I, and here's my confession. I didn't know what to do, so I gave him the one-finger salute. Now, give me a break. I'm 18 years old, okay? Cut me some slack. I'm 18, and I do that, and as soon as I do it, I remember the bumper sticker. And the guy pulls beside me, and he goes, bumper sticker. And I was so embarrassed, I was so ashamed, I wanted to crawl into a hole. So don't tell me you haven't done those kind of things. I mean, that was my way of of, of witnessing for Jesus. The life God has called us to is not about making noise. It's not about honking. It's about loving God and loving people. It's about connecting. That's what we're talking about today. Connecting with God, with uh, the church. Connecting with people outside the church who are far from God. I mean, you see a lot of honkers in the world. 
if you want to find some honkers, turn on Christian TV in the middle of the afternoon. You find a lot of honkers on TV. Talk a good game. Your people cheer. You know, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. Oh, that was terrible. Okay. Now, you guys are the other team, okay? I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? Okay, so we're honking, you know, listen to us. I found another bumper sticker shortly after that first one. Much better. Wasn't as popular, but much better. And this is what that bumper sticker said. If you love Jesus, tithe, anybody can honk. Okay, now, that's a good bumper sticker, you know. In other words, don't just make noise. Do something about it. If you're a follower of Christ, live it. Figure out how to love people. Figure out how to love God. And that's what we're talking about in this series, Vision on the Move. We just don't want to make noise. We just don't want to say we know something or we love Jesus. We want to live it. And that's the vision that we share at Hope Covenant Church. This vision, which is never static, it's always evolving, is deeply rooted, and this we talked about this last week, is deeply rooted in new life in Christ. That's where we begin And that's where we end. We experience new life in Christ. And we are so passionate about the life that God has given us that we want to share that new life in Christ with other people. And that's what we uh, are rooted in, in our, uh, our vision. But once that new life is established, here's God's call on each of us. And it's really three verbs. Connect, grow, and serve. Now we find this from Scripture. This isn't just a clever Vision statement. This is something that we find deeply rooted in God's Word. To connect to God and to each other. To grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago, I used the passage from Ephesians 3.18 that said, How wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Jesus. How are you growing into your faith? Are you daily, weekly, monthly, yearly taking one step closer to to Jesus. I don't care where you start. You can start as an atheist, an agnostic, start as a, a believer, but wherever you start, what are you doing to take one step closer to God, growing deeper and wider in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Connect, grow, and serve to serve joyfully, faithfully, passionately. Right now, even as we're speaking, right now, there's about 40 adults that are serving you in the rooms all around us. They're teaching your children. They're babysitting your babies. They're modeling Christ's love to your teenagers. And, and, and they're making coffee and they're making cookies. and all. That's happening right now. They are serving you faithfully. Now, the first part of this living out our vision is connecting. Connecting to God, connecting to each other, and connecting to the world. And to illustrate that, I want to use a story that many of you are familiar with. But if there are some of you here this morning, and I believe there are, that are new to our church, you may not be familiar with the the Bible, Jesus, God thing. And so I just want to give you the story, uh, the best way I can, about a man that we call Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was on the inner circle of Jesus' 12 guys. And uh, he, along with John and James, were kind of the, the guys who were part of this little inner circle. And so Peter was always where Jesus was. So I want to take you to that time at the end of Jesus' life when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane Jesus asked the disciples to pray with him. And uh, after they were done praying, Jesus came out with the disciples. And they discovered that one of the disciples was a traitor. His name was Judas. And Judas had talked to the 
Pharisees and said, we know where Jesus is going to be. If you want to take your soldiers, the Pharisees, by the way, the religious leaders of the day had their own army. Okay, this wasn't a Roman army. This was a Jewish kind of police force. And if you want to take your police force, I know exactly where Jesus is going to be. You can arrest them and then uh, the rest will be history. And so that's exactly what happened. So this group of police officers from the uh, Jewish contingent came, uh, led by the uh, Sadducees and the Pharisees, and, uh, and they came up and they went to arrest Jesus. And when they did, Peter was angry. And he was furious. Nobody's going to touch Jesus. He draws his sword. Some of you know the story. He flails. He happens to cut off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant. And Jesus very patiently said, that, 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 that's not how we play, boys. Let's play nice. Picked up the ear, popped it back on. Now you ask me, if you had seen that, that would have said something, right? So, and then they take Jesus away. And that's where we pick up our story. In um, uh, Matthew 26, 58, here's what it says. Meanwhile, after they've taken Jesus away, Peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard. Okay, now that, that's just a verse, but there's a lot of nuance in there. Uh, let me give you a side note. Um, being connected or disconnected from God is something that happens slowly, gradually. It's not a big flash. It, coming to Christ many times takes time to understand and reflect and believe and finally take that leap of faith. And to fall, fall away from God, the same kind of thing. It, it's, over time, you kind of find yourself kind of disconnecting and not being part of God's church again and just kind of sliding away. Uh, at our Christmas Eve service, at our second Christmas Eve service, uh, we had quite a number of, uh, of, of kids who grew up in our church but um, live different places now or do different things. And they come back with their families on Christmas Eve. And it's always great to see them. I, I had some of these kids in confirmation. I knew all these kids as they were, when they were teenagers. And it's just fun to see them come back. And I was talking to one of them and, uh, after the second service, and I said, well, how are, the, how are things going with your, in your walk with Jesus? Now, that, see, that should be kind of an easy question to answer, but you could tell that I made him very uncomfortable, which he didn't realize that that was exactly what I was trying to do. And so uh, I said, how's, how's your walk with Jesus? He said, well... He said, um, I, I, I've been really busy. I'm married now, got a baby. And uh, we kinda, I just kind of don't think about God that much anymore. I, I said, well, are you connected to a church? No, no, I'm, I'm kind of far from the church. He, he said, I'm, he said this is, I still believe in God. I'm just kind of following God from a distance. That's the phrase he used. And I said, and I, I wasn't trying to be facetious. I said, well, how's that working out for you? And he said, not very good. And so we had a really neat conversation. And, and here you find Peter following Jesus. This is one of Peter, one of Jesus' best disciples, one of his most aggressive disciples, one of his most assertive witnesses. And, and now he's following from a distance and all of a sudden things really turn badly. Look what happens next in uh, Matthew 26. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, you are one of those with Jesus the Galilean." But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. Now he's swearing. He's really mad. Okay, it's like somebody's honking at him, right? He's really mad now. And, and, and uh, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. 
A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore. A curse on me if I am lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Have you ever felt that? Maybe not to that degree, but have you ever felt that you had an opportunity to bear witness to God's love to someone? I mean, the conversation was wide open. It was right there. I mean, there was a softball just sitting there. All you have to do is hit it. You know, you just, you know somebody said something about, well, why do you go to church? Or uh, tell me about your Something. And you just blew it. And you just kind of blew it up. Maybe it was fear of being rejected or fear of saying the wrong thing or something. I mean, we've all felt that way. I mean, at the times I felt that way, I was going, walking away saying, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. And then I say, I, well, I hope they read my bumper sticker because I didn't do a very good job of telling them, right? And, but this idea that we've, we've, we're defeated, we've, we've, not, we've not honored the Lord's name. And, and then we find Peter, and we don't know what happened to him the next couple, uh, you know, 72 hours. Um, there was this obvious, this shame that he was living with, and he was sad, and he probably watched from a distance the crucifixion and felt like a terrible, uh, terrible disciple, a terrible person. And then, and then we find him again a little bit later. Uh, Jesus appeared to the disciples, appeared to the women first, uh, and then he appeared to the disciples. And, probably, and Peter saw him, but he probably hadn't had a chance to have a conversation with him until we come to a place in John chapter 20 that uh, describes uh, this interaction. Now, uh, Peter and the other disciples are out fishing, and uh, Jesus is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. We don't know if it was prearranged or not, but... They see Jesus, and Peter's the first one to jump out of the boat and run over. And so uh, Jesus uh, uh, fixes this great breakfast, and uh, they have fellowship. And then Peter notices an opportunity to go and speak to Jesus personally. And this is what we read. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you want to go. Jesus said this to him to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Now, I'm reading that. Some of you might think, well, you know, he had him profess his faith three times because he denied his faith. Three times, And I'm sure there's some truth to that. But Jesus' persistence demonstrates more than keeping a tabulation of rights and wrongs. It was Jesus' way of saying what it means to love him. What it means to stay connected to Jesus. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. 
you love me? Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. He didn't say, do you love me? Give money to the church. Do you love me? Make sure you do the right thing all the time. No, he didn't say any of that. His love for Jesus was directly connected to how we treat and care for each other. Jesus said it's not about honking. It's about loving God and loving the things that God loves. And the things that God loves are people. Now that includes the church, the body of Christ, the hope of the world, the Jesus Christ incarnate. We, we love that. It's, it's about you and you and you and you. It's, it's about us. It's about the church. We need to love each other. Do you love me? Well, if you love me, then feed my sheep. Take care of the flock of God. Connect to those who need you. This is the purpose that God has called us to in our lives, to love Jesus and to love each other, to connect with God and to connect with each other, and to connect with the world. God forbid that we don't have friends that are non-Christians. All of us should have at least half of our friends being non-Christians, because that's how we're going to bear witness to the love of Jesus in the world. So this story of Peter is about connecting to God and connecting to other people. Let me kind of break that apart for you. Connecting with God is really the key to the whole thing. Uh, the text says, and I even referenced this in my prayer, uh, Hebrews 10.22 says it this way, draw near to God with a sincere heart. Now that word draw near to God, it kind of sounds like this. It kind of sounds like, you know, I'm, I'm going to come see if I can do this. I, I don't know if I want to get too close to Jesus, but you kind of slow. That's not what the word means. The word means literally to be embraced. Come near to Jesus and He will embrace you. He will, he will let you fall into His arms. I remember in 2002, our son was in the army and uh, he was married, had three little kids and um, his wife told him that she wanted a divorce. And I remember uh, he, was, uh, he was in Arizona at the time. And I remember when I saw him after this, uh, uh, you know, he's as big as I am. And, and as he was coming toward me, he just kind of ran towards me and just kind of fell into my arms. He just, he just needed the Father's love at that time. His life was hurting, and he just needed an embrace. And that's the, the, that's the tenor of this passage. Uh, draw near to God with a sincere heart. He will embrace you. He will love you. He said, well, but I don't know, I'm, I'm too timid to come to Jesus because I, my, my life is full of sin and I'm afraid to come to God because my life, will, I'll, I'll, I'll blow up or I'll, you know, so many people joke, well, if I go to church, I'll, you know, lightning will strike me. Well, you know what? No, it won't. No, it won't. I'll tell you why. Not because you're good, but because God is good. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 2. But now... In Christ Jesus, who you who were once far away, listen to this, have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. You don't have to sneak up to God and hope that you won't blow up. You just simply go and hear, just like the prodigal son, the father embraces him and kisses him. Just like uh, the, the, the times in your life when your children have sinned and they have, but they're repentant and they come to you and you just embrace them and you love them. We are beloved of God. We are graced. We are embraced. We are His children. And He wants to embrace us and He wants to connect to us. 
And we do that through the blood of Jesus. Well, how do you stay connected to God? We've talked about this almost every Sunday. We stay connected to God by staying connected to the things that He loves. That's His Word and prayer. That's, that's a direct line to God and, and His people, His children. Because you're connected to God for all eternity. So we need to, first of all and foremost, be connected to God. But we also need to be connected with each other, with the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. Hebrews 10.24 says it this way, Let us consider how we can spur one another to love and good deeds. Let us consider how we can spur one another to love and good deeds. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. I mean, sometimes... You feel kind of like you're a, a, a Christian, like in Castaway with Tom Hanks. Your only friend is a volleyball, you know. But that, that's no fun. I mean, some, some of us, that, you know, for me, a small group is me. You know, that, I've, I've got that engineering chip in me. So I have to constantly break away from that and recognize that I can't do life alone. I, I need my wife and I need my church and I need my kids and my grandkids. I, I need people. And so we, as a church, provide the very best we can in opportunities for you to connect to each other. Now, out in the narthex, you're going to find ways to uh, sign up for CORE so you connect to new people. Uh, you're going to find uh, sign-ups for our grow groups, and, and we connect through a grow group, uh, through Be the Church on February 2nd. Uh, we're going to gather a couple hundred of us, and we're going to go out into the community of Chandler, and we're going to spread the love of Jesus by just serving, by just doing things. And that's going to be all of us. It's going to be awesome. But we provide opportunities for you to connect to each other because it matters that much. Uh, George Barna tells us that a, a person that comes to church for the first time to, let's say, Hope Covenant Church, let's say they go to the 10-minute party and we try to find ways to get them connected. Uh, that person that keeps coming for the first few weeks, if they get connected to a small group or a small group of people, they'll stay. If they don't, they're gone in three months. People want to be and need to be connected to each other. That's why we do family nights. That's why we have opportunities for you to grow, to serve, all of these different things. The word stir up, and that's the word that uh, the writer of Hebrews said, it means to arouse or to awake or challenge. Now, uh, I, I, I do a lot of uh, Bible study type things throughout the week with different groups, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what my favorite is. And I shouldn't say this for the other groups that I, I talk to, but uh, my favorite group each week is our men's Bible study on Friday morning. Uh, there's anywhere from 8 to 15 of us on any given Friday morning. We just go through a book of the Bible and we talk about it. But that group, uh, I've, I've watched that group. When a new person comes, the way that they connect and invite them in, uh, we go to breakfast after, those of us that can. And, and there's this sense of accountability and encouragement and transparency and edification I remember a couple of years ago, a guy by the name of Arnie Spieland, you remember Arnie, uh, would come to our group, and he said, this group, that Friday morning group, this group saved me. What he meant was Jesus saved him, but that's how he's found out about this, Jesus through this group. And, and, and we need those opportunities to connect with each other. Let me tell you about the easiest way to get connected. Sunday morning. This is the one time of the week when we have an opportunity to gather most of us. Now, if everybody that was a part of our church came every Sunday, we wouldn't have enough seats. 
But, you know, there's times when you're sick, you're away on a trip and like that. But let me tell you, the, 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 the way to do church 50 years ago was you did church three times a week. Barna says the way that people do church today is they go once or twice a month. Okay, it's just a whole different kind of uh, uh, situation. But let me tell you why church every Sunday matters. Okay, now this I'm not I'm not picking on you. I'm not. I'm just saying take this in and receive this. Why church matters every Sunday? Because when you come, you bless God. He craves the worship of His people. When you come to church, you bless others. When you come to church, you bless me. I am ever in labor till Christ is formed in you. Galatians 4.19. That's my heart. And when I see you here worshiping, even when you're struggling and you're here worshiping, I know, that encourages me because I know you're doing your very best to serve Christ and to do whatever you can. Why church every Sunday? Because you're preparing for eternity. You're being obedient. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Hebrews 10.25. Because you're being transparent. When you come to church, you're saying, at least in our church, you're saying, I don't have it all together. My life's hurting this week. I need my friends. I need somebody to pray for me. That's why we have the altar team up here. We have the altar team every Sunday so that if you're, there's something going on in your life, you come up here and these people will pray for you. And they will love you. And they'll, and they'll check on you and see how you're doing. We, we, we desire to care for each other. And so when we come to church, we're acknowledging, I, I need God and I need you. I need the church. We come to church every Sunday because... We're being involved in the work of eternity. And when you come, you can experience eternity now, at least a taste of it. You can, inter- you can experience the big kingdom in the little kingdom setting right now. When you come to church every Sunday, you can, you're aligning yourself with, with 2,000 uh, years of disciples and Christ followers who have also worshipped the Lord from generation to generation. When you come to church every Sunday, you are being fed and you are being loved and encouraged and graced, and supported, and taught, and accepted. We need you, and you need us. We connect with each other. We love each other. Well, how do I love Jesus? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. How do I do that? Encourage that person sitting next to you. Get involved in a grow group. Get involved in a Bible study on Sunday morning. Do something to connect you with someone else to help them understand the love of Jesus. I I want you, just for a moment, I want you to look around you. I know this is embarrassing, but go ahead and do it anyway. Look around, people around you, behind you, beside you, all around you. You better get used to these people. You spend eternity with them. Okay? They may go to another church next week because they don't like what I'm saying. But you're going to spend eternity with them, so you might as well get used to them. God says, I want you to be connected on this little kingdom because you're going to be connected with a big kingdom forever. So connecting with God, connecting with each other. But there's one last piece that I think is so critically important. And that is connecting with those who are far from God. One of the saddest things to me as a pastor, and this didn't used to be, I didn't grow up in a church that talked this way. But you've heard this, me say this a thousand times. You need to be involved in people that are not Christians. You need to be involved in their lives. You need to be loving them. You need to be witnessing to them by the way you live out your life. You need to not be in a cocoon of Christian love. You need not to be just make sure that all your kids never are touch the world. You, know, you need to make sure that you are infecting the world with the love of Jesus. You can't do that if you cocoon yourself. I'll tell you why this matters. Because it matters to the very heart of God. 
when you read the Gospels especially, and if you read Luke 15 specifically, you read those great stories about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, and, and that each one of those stories is about the same thing. That people who are far from God, people who are uh, dispersed uh, in the world and discarded and uh, not loved and not liked because they're bad people, because they do bad things, because they have a different lifestyle, because I don't want my kids hanging out with their kids. And we have all these lists and qualifications of why we should. It's exactly the kind of people that Jesus hung out with. Exactly the kind of people that Jesus hung out with. This matters to God. It's got to matter to us. We look most like Jesus when we connect with those who matter to him. And those who matter to him are those who are lost. I did a funeral a couple of years ago. And uh, it was the brother of someone in our church. And uh, he was part of a motorcycle club. And, uh, and I used to ride a motorcycle. I love that. We have, we have a dozen people in our church that ride motorcycles. It's really, by the way, you're all chicken because none of you rode your bikes this morning. I didn't, you know, we have a little motorcycle area out here. Where are they? Come on. This is in Minnesota, you know. So anyway, so I, I did this funeral, and the funeral home was packed with members of this motorcycle club. Now, it wasn't a gang. It was a motorcycle club, but there were some, there were some rough dudes in there. There were some edgy kind of dudes. When I was a kid, I would have seen that as an opportunity, or as a young pastor, I would have seen it as an opportunity to, to set these people right. I could tell them why they're, what, how, what, how they're living wrong. Th- that was the old me. That was the me before I discovered the real ugly me inside. And now all I could see was this, this chapel filled, standing around the back, chapel filled with people that Jesus loved, but they didn't even know it. Nobody had told them, or they had forgotten, but nobody had told them. And so I told them the story of the prodigal son. And I told them how the, when the son came back, the father embraced him. Even though he was an idiot, even though he did everything wrong, the father embraced him, put a robe on him, a, a, a ring on his finger, had a party. And I said, that party can be yours if you say yes to Jesus. Afterwards, one of the guys came up to me, big, rough-looking dude. He said, are you telling me that Jesus loves me? I said, yes, sir, I am with all my heart. He said, well, how come every Christian I know, the only thing they tell me is that God hates me? How come the Christians I know, all they do is talk about my lifestyle? Because the Bible says, by the way, and you know this because we preached on this a couple months ago, the Bible says it's not up to you to judge the world. It's up to you to judge the church, to be accountable. It's not us to judge the world. It's us to to love the world. That's how we're going to change them. We're going to change them by shaming them. Remember that? Uh, Constantine did that, and it was a massive failure. It has been for 1,700 years. So this idea that, that why, if, if God loves me, how come my Christian friends don't tell me that? All they do is they tell me that God hates me. How is it that the world has gotten the idea that we, and especially God, hate them? How is it that we've forgotten to tell them, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life? How do you connect with people that are far from God? How do you recognize people that are lost without Jesus? 2 Peter 3.9 says, He is not willing, talking about Jesus, He is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And when Jesus had every, every right to hate and despise evildoers, when Jesus had every opportunity 
to say no to God-haters, to say no to prostitutes, to say no to denying disciples, to say no to the self-righteous and the religious. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. When are we going to start seeing the world as people like that, that they don't know what they're doing? Well, how are they going to know? I'll tell you, there's only one way, and we talked about there's only one delivery system, and it's you loving them. Not shaming them, not pointing your finger at them, not judging them, but you loving them. That's how God wants to change this world. That's why hatred and intolerance and judgmentalism is so un-Jesus-like. The world laughs at Christianity when we do not love each other. And hear this, the, Lord, the world rejects God when we don't love them. You want the world to reject God? You know why they reject God, many of them? Because they've never found a Christian that knows how to love them. They will know you are Christians by your love. We used to sing that around the campfire. And how are we to love each other? And how we love each other speaks volumes to the world around us. You say, well, how do we do that? I mean, how do we become that powerful testimony of Christ's love? How do we bear... God's love to the unlovely, to the broken, to the hurting, to the marginalized, to the forsaken. How do, how do we do that? God says we do that through the love of Jesus that's in you already. See, the world knows, for the most part, what Christians think about them. They think that we hate people with AIDS, and they think we hate people that are divorced. They don't realize that half of our people are divorced, right? They think we hate people with alternate lifestyles or messy pasts or difficult politics or lazy lifestyles or people who are screwed up, fallen short, abused the system, offended our sensibilities. What do we do with those people? Well, as a community of faith, we love God with all our heart and we love each other the best way we know how. And then we take that love into the world and say, you know what? Jesus loves you. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves you. Here's what God said about those who are out in the world. The prophet Isaiah said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted." to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Together we bear witness to God's love to each other, and especially to a lost and broken world. We witness as a community when we embrace the unembraceable. You know, we're not just going, on uh, February 2nd, we're not just going out in the Chandler community and doing nice things so people will say, look at that church. They love people. I'll tell you why we're going out. We're going out because we do love them. We love the bikers, and we love the prostitutes, and we love the people with alternate lifestyles. And we love every single person around us, no matter what their issues are. And we've got issues just like them. They're just hidden, right? We go out and love them because we 
do. We witness as a community where we embrace the unembraceable, we love the unlovely, and we give hope to the hopeless. Why do we need each other? Well, I'll just end this message by being very, very personal. I need you. Not as your pastor, just as one man. I need you to walk with me, to work with me, to worship with me, to watch out for me, to wait with me and weep with me, to witness to God's love with me. I need you. I need every one of you. I can't do without you. When somebody leaves our church, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Because we have ministered together side by side. We have loved each other. We have loved others. And we need each other. We need to connect to God. We need to connect to each other. And we need to connect to the world. And that's God's call on our life. Hope Covenant Church right now, today. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, there's uh, too many times in our lives when we um, simply walk by. We walk by somebody at church. Maybe it's a child who's running by or a teenager that looks sullen. And we just walk by. Help us to not do that. And Lord, especially when we get outside the church, we tend to walk by people who look different from us, people that act differently from us, people that believe differently from us. Help us, Father, to see them through your eyes. Help us to see them through the eyes of Jesus. That your heart breaks when they do not embrace your love. And for some of them, how can they embrace your love when they've never heard about it? or they've never seen it in a Christian's life. Father, we are a church that can't survive without being connected to you. You are a lifeline. You are the vine. We are the branches. In order to bear fruit, we need your life flowing through us. But beyond that, we really need each other. I desperately need every person in this church. And so do they. And Father, we really need to know how to connect to the world outside these walls. We need to make a difference. We need to not be that person that's condemning and judgmental. Be, be that person who has an open ear, an open heart, and a willingness to say, Jesus loves you. Father, that's the kind of church that we are at Hope Covenant Church. And the kind of church that's going to change our community. And Father, help us to grasp this and to believe this and to live this with our whole and we just thank you, Father. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. I thank you that every one of them are on a journey of faith. Some of them are new to this journey. Some of them have been around a long time. But I thank you that each of them recognize the importance of connecting to you and connecting to each other. And for that, we give you praise and thanksgiving. In the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.